You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hall of Fame coaches, national champions, lottery picks, the best minds in basketball. Welcome into the sidelines with Evan Daniels. What's up, college basketball fans? Welcome back into the sidelines podcast. I'm your host, Evan Daniels, college basketball insider over at FS1, as well as the director of basketball recruiting at 24-7 Sports. Today's episode is the 66th episode of the sidelines podcast, and the featured guest is new UConn head coach, Dan Hurley. Our conversation jumped into how difficult it was for him to leave Rhode Island, what's gone into the first six weeks on the job at UConn, and his relationship with his brother Bob Hurley, who's the head coach over at Arizona State. Before we get to that conversation, I want to make sure that you are supporting the Sidelines podcast, and the best way for you to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me, but also be helpful if you left a rating and or a review. You can also shoot me a note on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to know what you think about the podcast. Without further ado, let's jump to that conversation with new UConn head coach, Dan Hurley. It's time to go minimum with Evan Daniels. Send it in, big fella. Now let's welcome in new Connecticut head basketball coach, Dan Hurley, to the Sidelines podcast. And Dan, on March 22nd, you opted to leave your post at Rhode Island and accepted the head coaching position at UConn. How difficult of a decision was that for you? That was hard. Um several days of kind of, you know, I guess suffering, you know, over the decision, you know, I, I knew, you know, a job like UConn, you know, for me, you know, you know, in the end, you know, represented something I, I couldn't pass up. So maybe, you know, deep down inside over the course of like those, you know, those couple of days where, where, I, where I was kind of, you know, thinking about my future and, and, and talking to my wife and, and, and family and my brother Bob and my dad and you know some some people that I you know who, whose opinions I, I I respect and um and but just the kind of the you know what we we're able to do at, at Rhode Island you know kind of you know go from a seven and twenty four program that that was irrelevant and and uh, and struggling and you know to build up the fan base to where you know, our games were like, you know, events in the state and sellouts and, you know, and get to the NCAA tournament, you know, and, and, and having a chance to win in the tournament and, and, and win championships in the conference was like, it was such an amazing thing that we created there from nothing. It's like, you know, it's, it's like walking away from family and people that you love. And, you know, so it was hard, but like the chance to, have a chance to go and, and and be the head coach at one of the elite brands in in college basketball was was too much to pass up. Outside of making the decision to to stay or leave Rhode Island, you had other options too, and and really good ones. And, and Pittsburgh being the the most prominent one, and I believe they even may have offered you more money. Well, why UConn over that particular school? I just think you know for for me, UConn, you know. 
represented, uh, you know, a, a chance, you know, for, you know, for me to develop a, you know, a program at, at that, at that high major level, at that, at that elite level, you know, it was, you know, it was an amazing, you know, feeling to, you know, to get to the tournament and, you know, and, and, and beat Creighton in Oklahoma the past two years, right. uh, you know, at, at Rhode Island, uh, you know, but then coming up short against, you know, Oregon and, and Duke, uh, you know, didn't feel so great. And um, I wanted to get myself, uh, you know, in a program where I, where I felt like uh, I'd have the resources, be able to recruit at a level, you know, where, uh, you know, where we could beat that next level of, of, of program, you know, the, you know, the, the Dukes and, um I, I just believed in my heart that that UConn, you know, of the options that I, that I had, and you know, even if I had other options, uh, you know, UConn to me is special in, in my prime, kind of as a player, and you know, at St. Benedict's, and even you know, four years ago, you know, UConn, uh, you know, four national championships in the last 20 years is something that uh, you know doesn't dissipate uh, just because you've had two subpar years. Now, you left Rhode Island in great shape, as you mentioned. You won over 25 games in each of the last two seasons, made the tournament both, made the, the second round in both. W what accomplishment are you most proud of about your time at Rhode Island? I, you know, I mean, obviously this past year was, you know, a historic season, uh, you know, 16-game winning streak at one point during the year. I would say, you know, really two things for me, just the growth of the program, you know, the way that we were able to, you know, to develop and, and energize a fan base, um, you know, and, and create excitement, become relevant, you know, on a national scale. And then, you know, obviously deliver things that hadn't been done there, you know, in the history of the program. But I'd say for me, Evan, it was uh, just the, the environment, the culture that we created, you know, I'm, you know, for me, you know, I set incredibly high standard, uh, you know, for the coaches that coach with me, the, the players that play for me in, in terms of, you know, developing, getting better every day. So I'd say for me it was the fact that, you know, we had one transfer in the last in the last four years there. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and for me, I think that's uh, that was probably our greatest accomplishment because it just it spoke to the, the connection uh, between coaches and players, player to player there, the brotherhood. And, uh, you know, to me, in a, in, in a time period where it seems like guys are going out the door, you know, two or three per program per year, you know, that, that number speaks to what we were all about there. Yeah, that's, a, that's incredibly impressive. And the guy replacing you uh, at Rhode Island, David Cox, he spent um, four seasons with you and, and really helped you build that program. What made him the right guy to to uh, to step in and, and try to fill your shoes there? Yeah, that he's uh, you know head coach quality. You know he uh, you know he's a total he's a total package. You know for me coming in, I was I was fortunate when uh, you know I, I've, I've lost some great assistant coaches over the years at, at Rhode Island. You know, my brother Bob uh, was doing pretty well out in the desert. Uh, you know, Preston Murphy, uh, you know, Luke Murray, uh, you know, Antonio Reynolds-Dean. I've, I've lost some great guys, you know, Jim Carr over the years. And um, so when I was able to you know, get Dave to come to the Atlantic 10, I was, I, I was shocked that I was able to get a guy of his recruiting ability, uh, you know, his basketball knowledge, uh, you know, his personality and ability to connect with people. 
Um, and then the fact that, you know, he was like a, uh, you know, I think a high, high school principal uh, for several years and worked grassroots before he got into the college game. You know, so I, I knew that he was going to have the type of work ethic it takes to be a successful head coach, the type of detail-oriented personality. Um, you know, but just, you know, Dave's ability to connect with people, uh, you know, I, I think just made it uh, an easy choice, I think, for the, uh, for the URI, uh, you know, decision makers there. And, and Dave's going to absolutely crush it. Let's jump into your, your time at, at UConn. What have the last uh, six weeks been like for you uh, stepping in and, and getting that program going? I mean, Evan, you, you don't, you know, it's hard to describe, uh, you know, the feeling because, you know, the, the, especially the way that, that, that we invest, you know, like, you know, me or, you know, my brother or the way we were taught by my dad, the way that we invest emotionally in the season, you know, that, that five, five and a half month journey that you go on, um, you know, when that ended for us against Duke and Pittsburgh, you know, on Saturday afternoon there, you know, you're kind of like emotionally a little bit bankrupt um, and, and kind of flatlining a little bit. And then, you know, boom, on Sunday you get contacted by, you know, a couple schools and and now you're meeting with them on Monday and as well as talking to the people at URI. So you've got to make this like, you know, big life decision at a point where you're kind of emotionally, you know, a little bit shot after the roller coaster ride that you're on during the season. So, I mean, I can't, I'd be lying if I said I remember everything that's gone on the last six or seven weeks, man. But, uh, you know, the first thing is you're trying to get to know your players here. You're trying to figure out, you know, you're meeting with your academic people. You're meeting with everyone, strength and conditioning, uh, you know, people at the university level, trying to figure out which players that are returning to your program or, or have a chance to be part of your solution or, or, or are part of the problem that you've got to get fixed and addressed immediately in terms of the culture of what you're walking into. So the first thing is you're trying to trying to stabilize things, trying to save the guys that you want to save that are maybe thinking about transferring because obviously the program hasn't been good the last two years, as well as kind of address the, the players that have, that have having a negative effect on your culture and you're trying to get that behavior corrected immediately. Uh, so that's kind of that first thing, and that takes like a week, week ten days, because you're trying to get to know the parents of uh, of your returning players and their AAU coaches, their high school coaches, and it's a deep dive into who they are, and and that process takes about a week ten days. While that's going on, you, you know you, you're trying to put together the best possible coaching staff that that you can hire, um, you know, and as well as addressing your needs in 2018, and we had. Uh, you know, a couple of major needs, especially uh, at the guard positions. And that's before you can even talk about, uh, you know, getting into 2019, 2020, recruiting, scheduling, uh, you know, all the different things that, you know, hiring a new strength coach, all the things that you that fall on your plate, getting to know the, the big donors, the supporters, getting to know everyone on campus, dealing with the media. Uh, you know, it, it is a lot going on. And um, th- there's no way that you could prepare yourself for that, especially in the emotional state that you're in when your season ends. You, you mentioned putting together a staff, and I, I think that's one of the most important things that you can do as a head coach. And you quickly filled yours with, with Tom Moore, Kamani Young, Kenya Hunter. W- what was your thought process when you first started building that group? Well, th- that was part of um, you know, 
honestly, for me, I, I before I took, you know, while the offer, uh, while the Rhode Island offer was made to me while I was at Wagner, you know, I, I, I had a sense of who I was going to hire before I took it. And, you know, at, at, uh, before I took UConn uh, and I was at Rhode Island, I, you know, I tried to get a sense of, 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 of the quality of guys I would be able to hire, uh, you know, before I took the, the job at, at UConn. So I, I didn't interview people, you know, besides really the three guys that I spoke to. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a great idea between Monday when I met with UConn and, and, and when I accepted the job. You know, Thursday morning, sometime around like 5 a.m. <laughs> is when I actually accepted it. Um, I, I had a sense that I that I wanted Tom uh, Kamani in Kenya for those positions. It was about being able to recruit them in and and uh, you know in, into the program with me here. And uh, what was appealing about all three guys to me was that all three of them were well-rounded. Uh, none of them are just recruiters or just good basketball guys. They're all or just guys that are well liked, you know. They they check off all the boxes. All three guys are great on the court. Uh, they're, they're well connected and incredibly well liked and respected in the profession, you know. And, and are and are great and respected co- uh, recruiters throughout their career. And, and for me, it was important. When UConn's been great, obviously they they've been able to recruit nationally and and kind of you know jump around. And you know Ray Allen from South Carolina. Uh, Khalid El Amin from from Minnesota, uh, Emeka Okafor from Houston, but I mean for the most part they were strong in New England, New York, New Jersey, and then that DMV North Carolina, you know the kind of that New England to the Mid Atlantic, and obviously Tom is, is 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 well connected being a Worcester guy, you know in that New England region, and you know I don't think there's many more guys that uh, you know are, are better received in, in the metropolitan area than Kamani with his grassroots background, especially kind of being one of the guys. And, uh, you know, and then, and then Kenya, uh, you know, in that DMV North Carolina is just a, a name that just kept coming my way about a guy that I needed to hire. And, uh, you know, um, so I was able to, I think, put together, I think, one of the best staffs in the country. Now you've added uh, Brendan Adams, who was committed to you at, at Rhode Island, and a couple transfers: Terrence Smith, Kasum Yakwe. How do you think that you were able to uh, to boost your roster with these guys? Well, you know, with Brendan, um, and it's no secret. I mean, we were at Rhode Island the last two years in particular. Um, you know, we were ranked in the top twenty-five for parts or large parts of our past two seasons. I think we had a top 25, top 30 recruiting class coming into Rhode Island. And, um, you know, and yeah, I mean, Duke, um, you know, the Duke game in, in the second round, uh, you know, in the round 32, um, you know, didn't go the way we had hoped in, in terms of the way we competed. But the year before with the, with that Oregon team that ended up going to the final four, they were lucky to beat us. Um, you know, we had a five point lead, I think with two minutes to go in that game. And, and kind of gave that one away. And, uh, you know, so we, you know, we've been able to recruit high major players to U- University of Rhode Island, and, uh, and especially in our last couple of recruiting classes. And, you know, for me, when, when Brendan committed to, to URI, I felt like we were getting a high major guard, high major combo with size, you know, that could really shoot the ball and could score at all three levels and uh, had good size and, 
that came down, I think, Austin, Georgia for him during the early signing period. So, you know, when he asked out of his letter of intent, uh, you know, he, he was a no-brainer for us, you know, a guy that could help us in the short term in an area where we we really need help. Um, we basically had, you know, Alter Gilbert, who's a tremendous player, but, you know, has had some real serious health things the last couple of years. So, you know, Brendan's really going to come in, and he's going to have a chance to make a, you know, big impact. Uh, you know, Taron Smith was a guy that, you know, I, I think is going to have a, a big immediate impact as well. Uh, played for my father in high school, sixth man of the year in the Atlantic 10 this past year. And, you know, re- really had a great year for Duquesne. And you know, he's going to come in, and I, and I think he fits our style of play, the way I like to coach it, real athletic, good size, can really guard. He can really, you know, get in the paint and make plays. Uh, and then uh, and Kasum Yakwe from St. John's, you know, I think he brings a lot of value uh, to to, uh, to the way we're going to play at UConn. Uh, I'm a man defensive coach. Uh, we pressure people. Uh, you know, we, we try to steal the ball. We try to block shots. We try to create, uh, you know, pressure and make our opponent uncomfortable. And his ability to protect the rim, uh, you know, and, and something that we, you know, minus Josh Carlton, we don't have a lot of rim protection here. So, you know, Yakwe, I think um, – you know, fits our style uh, just in terms of what he's able to do athletically and with protecting the front of the rim, uh, you know, because we are going to get, we do get beat off the dribble and, and, and we do pressure people. So we do need people on that back line that can challenge things the way Hassan Martin did, the way Karan Iverson was able to do for us. Did you think in, uh, in 2010 when you were the head coach at St. Benedict's Preps, did you ever uh, imagine you'd be the head coach at UConn in less than a decade? <laughs> No, man, no chance. This was no grand plan. <laughs> I'm not that smart, man. I, I, uh, this was just, yeah. I mean, yeah, the only thing that I would ever say with my, I would sit, sit with my wife, uh, my wife, Andrea, and my two sons, Danny and Andrew, and we would watch the NCAA tournament and, uh, when I was coaching in high school. And then, like, we would watch, you know, one shining moment. And I would say to them at, at some point, you know, in, in my career, I, I would aspire to coach a team in that tournament. Like that was a goal for me, but maybe like a far off goal. I kind of thought, you know, I'd be driving that 18 seat mini cheese bus for a lot more <laughs> years, uh, you know, but no, that was never the plan, man. Now, when you were the head coach of Wagner, you had the opportunity to work with your brother. What, what was that like? I, I tell you what, that thing evolved. Um, you know, it, first of all, it was amazing. To do what you love, uh, to, to follow uh, your, your, your passion, you know, with your, you know, with your, with your best, you know, your best friend, uh, you know, person that, that that you love dearly, that you grew up in the game with, like, uh, you know, like organically going to the park and spending like hour upon hours every day, you know, doing drills. You know, getting on buses, playing pickup in the best parks and courts in Jersey City. You know, even you know heading to Newark and doing the same. It was just like an amazing way to grow up with your brother, and then like um, you know to be a vehicle uh, for us to then to go together into the college ranks. You know, and, and Bob kind of pushed me a little bit. Like I wasn't sure. Like I had settled into a, a, a pretty you know pretty good life. Like I, I wasn't convinced that I was going to kind of take that Wagner job. Like Bob pushed me over the top to do it a little bit. Um, you know, so, 
the first year, you know, Bob was real. I think, uh, you know, was a lot more mellow than he became in years two and three. You know, I think my first year, I think, Evan, I think I got seven technical fouls my first <laughs> year, I, I think. And I think Bob didn't have any. And then, <laughs> you know, and then I think the next year, uh, I think I had two and Bob had three. So, so he's, learning, was, he, he's learning from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, so he upped his intensity level with the zebras especially um but you know, here's the thing like that you got that i got with bob like think about the level of of uh of coaching and development the development that my guards got at wagner for two years in particular and then that one year at rhode island like you i mean you you, you that's a rare opportunity for a perimeter player to play under his tutelage um you know and um then obviously uh you know, it was sad. It was emotional. I actually couldn't, I, I, I couldn't be in the room when Bob told the Rhode Island guys that he was leaving to go to Buffalo because it was so emotional for me. Like those three years I got to spend with him, you know, on those bus trips and just everything you go through, your best moments, your worst moments with somebody that you love so much. It's just such a neat thing, man. I was actually talking to him recently about your all's time together and he told me a story about uh, shortly after you getting the job, you guys both took the recruiting tests and you hit the road. And uh, he said there was a, a bit of confusion in, in Staten Island. So, yeah, so Walt Hamline, you know, and, and Walt, now listen, it's outside the box higher. I mean, you know, up until Penny, you know, I think I was the only guy from grassroots straight to, you know, from grassroots straight to head coach, you know. Kevin Keats was, you know, went assistant at Louisville or wherever before he got his first head job. So, I mean, I was in rarefied air that way. And the AD, it's like, you know, I think it's just a regular office day. So me and Bob are just kind of sitting in my office, just kind of talking about like individual workouts the next day or maybe where we're going for lunch. And the, the AD kind of, you know, comes into the office and says like, so where are we going today? And <laughs> I had no idea that it was a recruiting period, you know, because I hadn't hired I hadn't hired anyone else on staff yet. Um, you know, I had Bashir Mason, who was at Maris, worked for Chuck Martin, but he wasn't there yet. Uh, and I had no idea because the third position wasn't paid. So it wasn't a paid position, so I didn't know who the hell I could get to go do that. So, like, I had to fake it real quick and say, ah, we're going to Brooklyn. And uh, we just basically, I think we drove around Brooklyn. I think someone was kind enough to let us into a gym, but we didn't see anyone of any legitimacy for a Division I scholarship that day. Uh, but, yeah, man, so we, uh, I don't think, uh, the good thing is we didn't put expenses in for that day. So we were, <laughs> we were fair. I mean, we, we, we were fair, man. We, we, we faked it, but we didn't put expenses in. So. <laughs> How often now that you guys are, at separate programs, how often, like during the season, do you guys connect and bounce ideas off of off each other? I mean, he he told me that he he doesn't miss any of your games, and unless you guys are playing at the same time, obviously. But how, how often do you guys connect on on that type of stuff? Yeah, so um, I would say, like you know, in, in season we're talking, you know, you know, every day unless unless I play a noon game and, and he's traveling or or what have you. Um, you know, and, and the weird thing about the relationship is like the season, it's this roller coaster ride, right? And, and 
you know, your peaks and valleys are all at different times. I think it's like when, when he was peaking this year, you know, I had, I was fighting through my non-conference having just lost DC Matthews to a wrist fracture and Cyril Angevine to a hernia. And like, so like I'm going through this brutal struggle and Bob's on top of the college basketball world, you know, and then he gets into conference play and, you know, and, and he's going through some struggles there and, I'm running off 16 in a row. So it's like, you know, you, you're just, you're constantly, you know, trying to pick each other up, um, you know, while you're both kind of going through different parts of, uh, of your season while the other one knows that the other one's riding high, you know, so it's, right. it's, this, it's this, it's this weird dynamic, but, um, you know, we're so, we know each other so well and we know what we need to say to each other to get each other through, uh, you know, especially those downtimes, the easy times are obviously, you know, pretty easy to deal with, but it's, we just know each other so well that we're able to kind of pick each other up. And I just hope that the PAC 12 commissioner, you know, starts playing those guys in, in some of those earlier time slots. Maybe they can flip, flip Arizona, have them play later sometimes this year, uh, on that travel <laughs> partner stuff, because I have to set, I have to set my D, you know, I, I oftentimes, like if I do fall asleep, I set my alarm sometimes just so I could DVR through the end of his game. If I do fall asleep, just so I could send him at least a text message before before he shuts his eyes. Because it's just for me, I have to text him something. And that becomes a challenge because sometimes those games don't end until 2 a.m., you know, uh, you know, for me. So Pac-12, Kamish, you know, help me out. <laughs> There's your pitch. Outside uh, of your brother or your father, who's obviously had a, a major impact on your career, who was like a mentor or somebody that, that you've always looked up to or, or you try to pull stuff from on the basketball side of things? Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got several. Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, my dad, first and foremost, I'd say like 90% of my you know, philosophy on, on how I run the program and especially the defensive principles come from my dad. Uh, you know, P.J. Carlissimo, um, and George Blaney, uh, you know, who coached here under Coach Calhoun, were, were had a profound impact on me. You know, couldn't have been, you know, a bigger contrast. And you know, I stole things from both. Um, I don't think I'd be in coaching if it wasn't for Coach Blaney too. Just personally, the impact was it was amazing. The relationship. Um, you know, my headmaster at St. Benedict's Prep, uh, he taught me that. Uh, you know, my number one responsibility was to help raise kids, not just win games. Um, you know, and then people in the profession that I lean on, uh, you know, for advice. Um, you know, uh, Billy Donovan has always been a role model for me. You know, if there's somebody stylistically that, that I could uh, would model myself after, I wish I could get that composure thing down a little bit better. <laughs> uh, but I just I, I, I always love the way his teams played, uh, how they attacked. Um, Coach Calhoun, not just because I'm here, but because I played against him, and, and he's on that Mount Rushmore of, of, of greatest college coaches on the men's side of all time. You know, and then, uh, you know, Fran Pichella, um, you know, Matt Doherty, uh, you know, John Carroll, who recruited me to Seton Hall, former head coach at Duquesne, your former uh, NBA coach, former interim coach of the Boston Celtics, people that are sounding boards for me that I bounce a lot of ideas off of and, and respect their opinions because of the you know the different things that they experience in their careers. 
If you weren't coaching, if you weren't a, a college basketball coach or coaching in any capacity, what, what would you be doing with your life? I'd be, uh, I'd be in the classroom. I'd be, uh, I'd be a teacher. I, I taught world history, too, for, uh, you know, basically, you know, from the Dark Ages to uh, uh, through the Renaissance, through the French Revolution, mostly focused on European, uh, you know, history when I was at St. Benedict's for nine years. You know, so I would be in the classroom. I, I love, uh, you know, I, I love being, um, you know, part of the, the mentoring, teaching, educating, uh, you know, process for young people. You know, I, I felt the impact of being around a great coach like my father, like the impact that that could have on your life, the exposure to a great teacher, a great principal, a great coach can have a profound impact on your life. So, you know, for me, I, I, I would want to be, you know, a, a great teacher and have a profound impact on, on on someone's life that way instead of on the court. Well, next time uh, next time I go to Europe, I'm going to give you a call, see if you can give me some tips. Uh, I can walk you through it. Uh, <laughs> I can walk you through some of it, no doubt. <laughs> well, Coach, I appreciate your time. Uh, I know this is a big chunk, so uh, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast. Ed, it was a pleasure, man. This is Aaron Rodgers. They're going to air it out. Rodgers does this better than anybody. End zone. Cobb. Touchdown. Unbelievable. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. And you're listening to the sidelines with Evan Daniels. We'd like to once again thank new UConn head coach Dan Hurley for jumping on the sidelines podcast. Enjoyed that conversation. Before I let you guys go, I want to get the three big topics, and we're going to start with Joe Crimo and Villanova. The Wildcats coming off winning two of the last three national championships, picked up a signature recruit in the transfer market. I'm referring to Joe Crimo a transfer from Albany. He is eligible to play right away, and the Wildcats beat out the, the likes of Creighton, Oregon, Gonzaga, Texas, and Penn State for what was one of the best and most highly recruited graduate transfers on the market. This kid averaged 17.8 points a game, just over four rebounds, and nearly four assists a game. Get this, in three seasons playing for Albany, hit 145 threes. Last year, he shot it at a 46% clip. Joe Crimo gives them some insurance in case Dante DiVincenzo decides to stay in the NBA draft. A really quality pickup and another really good piece to the Villanova puzzle. Obviously, they would like to get the uh, the Final Four MVP Dante DiVincenzo back on their team. But Joe, Joe Crimo gives them uh, room for error. And, and this is obviously a kid that can bring some value in terms of shooting uh, and scoring. Second topic, Tyrese Maxey verbally committed to Kentucky on Wednesday, and this is a a big recruit for John Calipari. He is the number 13th ranked player in the 24-7 composite rankings, and and what makes this guy uh, so special is is his ability to score. There is a lot of value in his ability to put up points. He's 6'3", has a solidly built frame. He's a good athlete. He's aggressive. He's tough. And this is a kid that can play both on and off the ball, and he can defend both point guards and shooting guards so he has versatility but like I mentioned his ability to score uh, is very unique he can get to the rim and and finish through contact or he can score in transition he's also good off pull-ups one and two dribbles from mid-range he has a floater but then he can also shoot the long ball so he scores at all three levels and this pickup has moved Kentucky into number one in the 24-7 sports 
class rankings. Now, obviously, it's very early, but Kentucky already has three commitments, all three five stars. Shocking, I know. DJ Jeffries and Ashton Hagens are the other two. Now, Tyrese Maxey also announced that he is going to stay in the 2019 class. There's been some talk that he may reclassify to 2018. I asked him about it. He said for now he's in 19, but he would consider uh, moving to 18 down the road. But for now, he's in that 2019 class. Now, that brings me to the final topic, and that is regarding Kentucky and reclassification. Now, Tyrese Maxey and Ashton Hagens are two guys that are both considering that move to 18. Now, they both have said, as of right now, they're in the 2019 class, but they'll consider moving up. Obviously, it would make Kentucky's team look a little different next year if both of those guys go into 2018. If I was predicting, I think Ashton Hagens most certainly ends up in the 2018 class, and I would say it's a 50-50 chance that Tyrese Maxey ends up in 18, despite saying he is currently in the 2019 class. Now, obviously, Kentucky has some guards. They've got Quade Green already. They've got Emmanuel Quickly headed their way. He's a five-star point guard in that 2018 class. He'll be a freshman this season. If they were to add Tyrese Maxey and Ashton Hagens, what a wealth of guards John Calipari would have next season. Now, Ashton Hagens is a guy that uh, is versatile, but he needs the ball in his hands to be uh, really effective. And that's when he's at his best, when he can distribute, when he can pass, when he can use his vision. Maxey is very different. He's more of a true combo than he is a point or a two. He has that ability to score, but he's also unselfish and can pass. So the rich get richer. Uh, whether they stay in, in 2019 or move to 2018, Kentucky continues to reel in five-star prospects. Before I let you guys go, I want to make sure that you are supporting the Sidelines with Evan Daniels podcast. The best way for you to do that is to shoot over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button for me, but also leave a rating and a review. That is extremely helpful. You can also shoot me a note over on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Evan Daniels. Would love to answer some of your questions or find out what you like about the podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.